Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Imagine if you could have your off-grid home built in a weekend. Think of the properties you could move to, the places you could go, how quickly you could be homesteading if you could put up your home quickly. Well, there is a way to build a home pretty fast, and it's what got Kay and I looking into the idea of building a yurt on our off-grid homestead over on Sunny Mountain. We have looked into yurts for years. To be honest, the very first home we thought about building on our very first homestead was a yurt, and for years, we keep coming back to it because it's such a simple, beautiful solution for a place for your family to live, and you can put it up very quickly. But nothing is perfect. So in today's episode, we are going to dive into the subject of yurts. We have Paul from Nomad Shelter. I'm happy to, happy to dig into it. I, I know uh, more about yurts than I thought I ever would. So. <laughs> He's gonna help us learn what the pros are to the yurt, what the cons are to the yurt, and hopefully help you and us too decide whether or not a yurt is right for our homestead or off-grid build. And if we do decide to go forward with it, he's gonna give us some advice on the process as far as shopping for your yurt from start to finish to actually moving in. Life in the round. Now you probably know what a yurt looks like. It's one of those round structures. They have the dome roof and the outside is made of some sort of fabric. You see them a lot nowadays, people out in Colorado or Portland or up in Alaska. But the yurt is actually an ancient structure. Yeah, I, I, you know, way before Nomad Shelter, of course, there's Mongolian yurts. For nomads, home is wherever you put it. Usually by a river where the grazing is good. There's this incredible Nat Geo documentary on the nomads of Mongolia. And every time I watch it, I want to become a nomad. In this clip that I'm playing, I'll have a link to the YouTube video, you can see this nomad family set up their yurt, or as they would call it in Mongolia, their gur, which means home, which is also what the word yurt means in a different language. And that's the term many of us use today to describe this beautiful, unique little structure that only takes this family in Mongolia about an hour to set up. Once a suitable spot is chosen, it takes a family just an hour or two to settle down. Over thousands of years, the Mongolian yurt was developed to such perfection that it remains almost unchanged. Not a North American invention by any means. Um, it's, it's before I even give our history. It's I, I want to you know important to put a shout out to um, you know the people that did invent the millennium ago, like you said on the steps. 
you know, it, it, it's a match of, of um, the environment, which is very cold, windy, not a lot of uh, shelter. You're not in the forest. Um, so you need a, a structure that's going to stand up to that kind of environment, you know, heavy winds. Square buildings don't do so well in, in heavy wind situations. The yurt makes incredible use of material in terms of the amount of material that you have to have in order to put up a structure of a certain size. Uh, I think it's pretty hard to beat. And, and it, it is something that, um, particularly the, you know, the, the traditional ones. Many modern day nomads or homesteaders, off-gridders, People who are looking for a life of adventure in a harsh environment find themselves looking to this centuries-old solution for their own homes. And that's how Nomad Shelter started years ago with its owners. The owners, Jess, Jessica and Lee Tenhoff, um, still the original owners. Uh, they've been going at it for 25 plus years at this point here in Alaska. Uh, they started up in Nome uh, when, you know, likewise, they needed a place and, and what they had available, the materials and the skills that they had available um, after a bunch of research, they found that they thought, you know, with, with, with um, some building skills, um, were able to build their first yurt themselves. Um, and, and it's been iterated ever since then. The, you know, the business has grown. Uh, you build one yurt in Alaska and your neighbors immediately start out, hey, <laughs> that looks great. Um, you know, shelter up here is, is a significant, um, important challenge. Our, our climate is so tough that uh, you know, where a lot, of, a lot of places you might get away with a lean-to, um, that's not gonna cut it here. So uh, you know, yurts have a great niche in, in these tough weather environments, I think. Um, so that, that's a little nomad's history. Yeah, I've worked with a, and built a lot of different types of alternative structures in my life. Um, uh, geodomes, uh, teepees, uh, what, what, which ones am I forgetting here? There's, there's a lot of different unique, unique approaches to the same problem of how do we provide housing? Um, yeah. you know, so, so I come to this with some background of knowing some of the pluses and minuses of all of them. And I think the year really hits a sweet spot in terms of, uh, real livability, um, with a minimum of material input and, you know, and a high quality structure. So it's, it's, it, it, uh, if there was a little Venn diagram, it's sitting in the middle of a bunch of those three circles, which is hard to hit. So Yeah, for sure. For someone who's never actually really looked into a, a modern yurt that, you know, you, someone would get from like Nomad Shelter, what mm -hmm. is it made of? What pieces make up the modern yurt? And like build it, build it, you know, tell us step by step, sure. what are the pieces that go together to make a yurt? Yeah, no problem. We'll, we'll start right in the center, um, up at the top. Um, and this is a feature that's unique to yurts. Uh, you don't see this in most other buildings, but it's the compression ring. Um, that, and it, it, it's, it's, it's named the compression ring. It's an engineering term, really. It, it means it's under compression. Um, all the forces of the, the rafters in the roof, which, which splay out from the middle, um, they're putting an enormous amount of compression force into the center of that ring. Um, and that, that circle being a very strong shape in nature is able to handle and distribute those forces um, really efficiently for the amount of material you use. Um, uh, that's so that that center ring, that compression ring, it's the it's the heart of the yurt. Um, you know, if you want to really compare yurts, uh, if it was possible, it's not easy on the internet. But if you could set two compression rings next to one another, um, you know, you can gauge how how tough that yurt's going to be right there from the right. Just you look at the compression ring, and that's going to tell you a lot. Um, so if you're building one on your own, you know, pay attention to that step. It's an important one. Uh, there's a lot of forces that they get funneled through there. 
Uh, of course, there's the skylight cap on top of that. Traditionally, you know, the, modern yurts generally are going to put a clear one, uh, clear cap over the top. So you've got a lot of nice light coming in through the center of the yurt. Uh, it is hard to put other skylights and things into the yurt because the covers are polyvinyl and you want to avoid leaks and stuff. So that's a, a great spot in the middle of the yurt to bring that light in and uh, um, and keep the interior open and open and airy feeling. Feels great. Um, I mentioned the rafters. Those are, are typically going to be um, you know, sized appropriately, two by four, two by six, two by eight. Um, they're going to attach to the ring, attach to the... Um, uh, it, attached to the, not the lattice, actually, the lattice walls is a, is a common yurt feature. Again, unique to the yurt. You'll see that, that accordion style lattice wall. Um, that's, that's something that a lot of people will recognize and identify as, as, as a key yurt feature. Um, really neat that they're, they're able to fold up so, so quickly and easily like the old, you know, it's like the old style laundry, um, <laughs> Uh, uh, deal that folds out so fast. So it's really neat to be able to get that adjustability in a year. Um, you know, when you build a build a wall out of regular stick material, it is a certain size. It does not change size width or height. But with a with a yurt wall, it's you know, it's a little bit more art to it because that that wall is infinitely adjustable in both directions. So um, there's there's a little bit of a philosophical difference in building you see there between modern stick frame construction versus a yurt, which has that natural variability to it. Um, it is, and it's it's highly engineered, but there's also there's an art to it as well. So that, that's um, a good kind of, point. It's not. Uh, I think so many of us are we grow up in like you know modern stick built homes, and us looking to go to our off grid homestead. This is the first time we're ever venturing into the world of alternative building methods. And I come sure. from a background. My my father was a, a professional contractor and home builder for twenty years. My grandfather was. And if you're used to that world of stick built homes and everything 16 on center and, and the way that they go up and the way that they work and go together, you start getting into these alternative homes and people can kind of scoff at them. People can, you know, I remember telling my father-in-law who also is a builder the first time we pitched when this is back when we had our first baby, you know, we're talking 12 years ago. Hey, we want to move into a yurt. And he was mortified at the idea. <laughs> like, no, I don't want my daughter and my grandson to be in a, a tent. But to, yeah. to point out that this is a, just because it's different, a lot of these different kind of um, builds that we've looked into even for this off-grid build, just because they're different, they're still highly, um, you know, highly engineered, strong yeah. structures. You're not living out of a, a you know, a pop-up tent. <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's definitely not a tent. I hear that word sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, that, that's, that's people who aren't, aren't knowledgeable and experienced with what kind of, um, uh, structure your really is. There's, there's much more to it than it's certainly not a tent. The, that skin fabric material over the entire yurt is a key piece of, of the yurt. It's important when you're shopping for yurts to, to look exactly what that material is, check on what the warranty lifespan of it is common thing to think about with yurts is uv damage the exterior of that yurt is exposed to uv from the sun some fabric materials that are low quality may only last a handful of years that's really something you want to stay away from uh, you're going to a lot of trouble building the entire rest of your yurt it would be a disappointment to have to replace that cover five years down the road so we generally only use the, the high quality duralast material now which is sort of a industry standard at the top of the line um, yurt manufacturers to go with that material. It's the one that's proven out to be the highest quality. So, but that's a, it's worth mentioning that up here in Alaska, we have 
constraints on us because of the uh, because of the environmental conditions. It's more difficult here to do construction. Uh, the season's short. You're going to want to do that in the summer. Summer is very busy. It's important that buildings here last, that you don't need to be rebuilding them a couple of years down the road. Summer in Alaska is a time to, to, to make hay while the sun shines. When Paul says make hay while the sun shines, he means sun shining literally. Alaska winters are long, cold, and as many of us learned in school, dark. Now, it's not exactly the six months of complete darkness that you learned in your science book. Depending where you are in Alaska, you'll have more or less gradual light throughout the day. But there's a lot of darkness. The point Paul's making is, during those nice summer months, you want to finish up your dwelling, get inside, and get cozy. And when you look at the list of pros that a yurt has, it may just be that perfect place to light the fire and get cozy in. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This is somewhat specific to Alaska, but it, it applies also to anyone who's on a tight time frame is that ability to raise your structure in a matter of, uh, you know, you said a weekend when we opened the show here. I'll put in a caveat. You can raise the yurt in a weekend if you've got your platform. Platform is, a, is an important piece of the project that usually is going to involve putting in some foundation posts and building out a beam and post structure with a, with, a, with a round deck on top of it. That does take some more work. Better plan, better plan a couple more weekends for that at least. Uh, <laughs> that was called but, marketing, what I was doing at the beginning there. False yeah, marketing, maybe. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. well, you can, you can, of course, people will work on that ahead of time and get yeah. it. You know, they, they can putz on that and get it ready. And then yeah. the yurt shows up. You know, it could be, and, and it can be, uh, one of the cool things about a yurt is it can also be um, a real community building experience. Like an old school barn raising. The nice thing about putting up a yurt is, is more hands make it easier. Uh, they're not going to get in each other's way so much. If you tried to hire a bunch of rookies to come help you frame your house, you're going to go backwards. Yeah. Actually, playing, you know, each 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 time you need to cut a board and it's too short, uh, you can't cut it longer. So, but a year it's going to come as a kit. Lots of hands makes it go up faster, and it's, it it could be a fun event instead of a, um, a you know a headache to figure out how to put your building up. You, you can you can get a big barbecue going and before you know it, your yurt's up and, and people enjoy the experience. I think another really great pro, and this is the amount of home that you get for the material and the, the cost input that you have to spend. You're doing it for just dollars per square foot. It's significantly less expensive than a modern stick frame home. You know, you're, you're skipping a lot of difficult technical steps that require a lot of tools, um, usually professional labor in more remote places, which is where yurts generally end up, not the middle of a city. When you hire a construction crew, you know, you're paying top dollar for someone, the further out you are, you know, their cost to come to your job site and set up for the day. Um, and you start penciling up what a nice structure a yurt can be versus the cost input. And boy, it, it, it's, 
really night and day for a lot of folks. You, you get a great structure. It lasts a very long time. It's reliable. It's a high quality living environment. So those are all pros. Are there any other really big pros to your there is. There's one more I wanted to mention, and that's um, maintenance. In tough conditions where you're getting a lot of snow over the winter and, and gutters that are, want to rip off your house and um, you know roofs that need to be replaced, they're rusting out. And the list is actually surprising surprisingly long. You don't think about it when you purchase or build a regular stick frame house, especially because when you do it, it's brand new. But over the years, that modern style of construction, it gives you a building that degrades constantly. It's, it's complex. There's a lot of surface features on the outside. Just painting a house is thousands of dollars. Tens of, you know, it could be, you could hire a professional tire and painting crew. And that's something you need to do repeatedly to maintain or otherwise you wind up with bigger problems. So the beauty of the yurt is the outer structure of it is very simple. There's no eaves, there's no gutters necessarily. Very little exterior maintenance to keep up with. A yurt will generally take care of itself year after year, free up all that additional input of time and money that that you you normally would have to put into a house. That again continues to save you down the road and, and let you live um, a life or built around yourself, not just constantly pouring your energy into, into a structure. It's that's, that's a frustrating thing to, to think that you've bought a house. Now you're going to go enjoy your summer and then you're going <laughs> to each summer year after year, you spend the whole, all your time constantly trying to keep this thing from falling into the ground. Now you mentioned yeah. this, I, I consider this to be a big pro of the year. And I know it depends on what you're doing and the kind of build, but the element of portability I know you can be more or less on the portability scale, but you talked about some people going out, you know, on uh, some outfitters using them. If someone knows, you know, we're going to this property, maybe they're leasing a property to run a farm at or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. It how, how much more portable than your typical home can a yurt be? Quite portable. Um, it, it is a matter of scale, of course. If you've got a 40-foot yurt, that's just physically a bigger structure to move. It is a structure that can be taken back down, you know, without damage uh, and set back up again. You can actually take it back down, carry the components, which are, you know, carried by hand. You could carry it through the forest up a trail if you wanted to, and then set it back up in another yeah. spot. So, um, it, it's, it's pretty neat to have a building that can do that. There, we have we have a lot of people who will plan on living on the yurt for three or four years and then want to build a bigger structure after they've had time to save up their money because they're no longer wasting everything on rent. Um, and then they plan on building a bigger house. And they can put the yurt where they want with the nice view and then go ahead and move it three or four years down the road off to the side. So that's that's the thing that you can do with um, with a yurt. Yeah, and that's so unique, that ability to be able to do that. Unless you build a tiny house on wheels, you just, yeah. it's so much harder to move anything. And that's actually, we're going back and forth right now about this idea of could we do for that exact reason? Could we have a quicker, simpler solution to be? Because especially if you're living a homesteader life, our audience, Paul, is primarily homesteaders, fa small sure. farmers. You want nothing more than to be on that property, working that property, getting your animals on that property, setting up your infrastructure. Your home is like where you're going to go at the end of the day when you're beat, but you're going to be outside all day long working on that land, living that homesteader life. So to have yeah. a place that you can just get up quick and then get everybody, all your animals, our property, we want our animals there so bad right now because it needs the topsoil to be built up. And our animals sure. are great at doing that. They poop and they ruin their hay and it gets all over and it creates topsoil. 
the, yeah. the minute we get them there, this place will be a better place than it is currently, but we're waiting on something we can live in. So great, great, yeah. great pro there. Uh, any other th on the list of pros and cons, Paul, any other things that stand out to you? I guess I should mention there's one more pro. <laughs> there's a few. Uh, you know, I, I think the ones I mentioned so far were mostly budget and kind of engineering based. There is another pro and that's just the the connection with nature that you get in a yurt that you don't get in a stick frame structure. Some people may put that down as a con. Uh, I, I, as I, I see it as a pro, you know, hearing the wind and the rain. And ideally, if you're somewhere that's not right in the middle of a city, you know, you're not listening to traffic noise. You're listening to the, the wind and the trees, which is to me a very a peaceful noise. You lose that connection with, you know, modern housing. So you know, being able to look up through that center skylight and see the stars, or if you're lucky in Alaska, see the Northern Lights uh, right through the center of the top of your house is, is pretty neat too. So, um, you know, there's there's definitely some some emotional and, you know, livability aspects that are pretty neat about the year too. Any tax permitting, that sort of thing, do you ever find anybody does better building year when it comes to their tax payments or any kind of permitting process? Any benefits sure. there? Legalities uh, are a thing to think about in any home construction. In Alaska, we're really fortunate. Uh, we are probably the, I don't know, the most libertarian state in the union here. The, the vast bulk of, of Alaska doesn't have any um, zoning restrictions. I so, love that. <laughs> you put a yurt up outside, great. You want to put another one up next to it? Great. Another? Great. Um, you know, so that that's, that's a, we're, we're fortunate. I'll say that. Taxes, that's an interesting one. A lot of times, you know, counties will tax you on the value of the structures on your property. So you have to weigh, like, if I'm the one living in this, how much do I want to pay in taxes on the fact that it's my home? It's this, you know, it's one thing to pay taxes on income that you're bringing in. It's another to have to pay taxes on your house and then pay the taxes again year after year after year. You know, it's good to fund your community. Uh, I don't want to sound anti tax, but um, at the same time, um, for folks on a budget, uh, if you're putting up something with a, uh, some, some, some localities may see that as a temporary structure and may not tax it even as, as a house, you, you may avoid those taxes entirely. Others are just going to see that and, and value it, um, correspondingly less. If you put up a yurt that's worth $50,000 instead of a house that's worth 300 or 400 these days to build a you know, fairly, not even a very big house. Um, you know, the value you're going to be taxed on is that much lower. You could be paying, you know, a fraction of, of those property value taxes because you're living in a yurt. So that, that could be hundreds or you know thousands of dollars extra per year in your pocket because you chose to do something um, uh, lower impact yeah. and live, live more lightly. And that, that, you know, living lightly is, is um, um, I think, a value we could all hold a little more dearly. Uh, so, that um, that idea, the, the light footprint, that's a huge pro to me. And then you already mentioned this. I'll just enunciate it. You talked about them. While they may look to somebody who doesn't know any better, like a tent that got put up, uh, the strength and the flexibility of the structure. I mean, we're talking, you guys are putting them out in Alaska. <laughs> we don't picture Alaska as like, you know, fair weather. Uh, when it comes to the strength and flexibility of these structures, in the pro category, what can they take? What can they handle? Generally, uh, each one's a little different. We've had engineering done, of course, on all of our, on all of our yurt sizes. Um, our, our basic structure is, is good for 50 pounds of snow load per square foot wow. on the roof. Um, so that's, you know, it, it depends, it depends what kind of snow you're getting. 
um, but that could be, you know, several feet of snow. Um, most most places, the it's out of the box, it's already going to be enough. Yeah. Um, they're also rated for roughly 100 miles an hour of wind, wow. um, which is a significant, significant windstorm. They do great in the wind because of the roundness and the fact that that outer, the entire outer structure is so smooth. Uh, there no eaves sticking out to grab the wind. Um, much less of a downwind wall that can create that negative pressure bubble that rips your house apart in a hurricane. Yurts, like I, I compare them to uh, like a barnacle on a rock. Uh, <laughs> they're not that different a shape. If you look at a barnacle that lives in the in where the, the waves and the ocean smash into the rocks, that same round kind of low clinging to the clinging to the rock or clinging to the earth shape, um, it does great against those kinds of forces. So, you know, it's part of part of what makes the yurt do so well with, with that amount of material that we have put in. All right, I know what you're thinking. It's time for me to put in my order for a yurt, right? <laughs> it's sounding pretty good up until this point. And that's why it's time to dive into the cons because we know no structure is going to be perfect. There's always going to be an upside and a downside. So what are the negatives to living in the yurt? What could you expect to have a hard time with? What problems are there built into this type of structure? And are they right for you? Let's get to the cons of the yurt. The, the single road, biggest roadblock, it, it's not necessarily a con of a yurt, it's a con with our uh, regulatory system and our banking system. So it's difficult to get financing for a yurt from a bank because they're non-traditional. There are some ways that people can can get financing. The other con I mentioned was uh, the other end of regulatory stuff is permitting. Yurts can be a challenge to permit in some locations. In the city, you know, where your neighbors are all looking at you, that's probably the toughest one. You're not going to fly into the radar there. The inspector is going to want to come out and, and, and do code inspections. Modern uniform building code is going to require a certain amount of insulation R value. Yurts generally aren't going to hit that R value. They're going to be below that just due to the nature of their construction. It doesn't mean that they can't hold heat. You can't heat them. It just means that there's a, there's a certain number that uh, the building industry wants you to hit. And if you can't do that, you're going to have trouble getting permits. So to me, that's kind of an interesting point in you know, this regulatory system that we're up against. It is driven by the building industry themselves in a lot of ways. The more restrictive and the more rules they can put on how you, what you need to do to build a home, the more they can create a situation where you have no choice but to hire professionals and pay exorbitant amounts of money, both for their expertise and for the materials that the law requires. So you can wind up with a situation where you can you can justify a lot of these these building requirements and rightly so in a lot of ways you know they're they're built around safety is the first one um, so that you you want to make sure that you're building something safe and i talk about it with my customers if you're building a big big yurt you want to make sure you have enough egress points be that doors or windows that open so we want to make sure we're still building a safe structure the bigger one is 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 things like they'll justify a lot of those regulations by saying well we want it to also be green it's important that we have a, a building that's r40 but you know what what is the green value of of um, a single person or two people living in a 3500 square foot house and heating it to 75 degrees um, i mean they a, a living situation like that which is very common in america and and perfectly legal they've hit all the all the you know green leads check marks you could you could possibly hit, but the carbon footprint of building that structure, let alone the 
the enormity of it and the immense amount of fossil fuel or other input you're putting into something that big to heat it and keep it you don't get ju- they don't judge you on any of that to decide whether you're green merely the, the thickness of that wall and, and <laughs> really unfair because we'll we'll have people who are a couple who are going to move into a, a small 300 square foot yurt and and that is ecologically far more sustainable um but our regular regulatory system can look at that and look down on it because their insulation value is you know they're, they're not effectively the building industry is there is unhappy with that because they're not spending enough yeah uh, so they'll get penalized so that's a negative with yurts you, you need to know that um the system is going to fight you on this uh depending on how much system there is around you there's that old saying that it's better to ask forgiveness than <laughs> and that can come into play too like you know we we don't want we obviously don't want to encourage people to set up yurts where they're going to be a problem with yeah. neighbors and stuff yeah it is a pain to have to take your yurt back down oh, uh, yeah. the you know there is the side benefit that you know you're being portable if you're in a position where things in the end didn't work out, of course, you can take it back down, right. resale in this fantastic. You'll generally get almost all your money out of it. Wow. Um, I was going to ask you about that. That's really interesting. Yeah, it, that, That's a unique thing with a yurt. Like if you build a house, you cannot take that house back down. And if you drop 300 grand into building oh, a house, yeah. you cannot get, the only way you can get that money back is to sell the property it's sitting on. Um, if you spend $30,000 on a yurt and live in it for three years, given inflation, and material costs going up, there's a good chance three, four years from now, you could turn around and sell that yurt for the same $30,000 that you paid for it. Wow. And that's a common thing. We, we, in fact, in fact, the, the inflation bout we've gone through, I've seen yurts for sale that were purchased a couple, three years ago that are selling for more than what they originally paid for them. Wow. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of demand for yurts. They're very popular. And they really, they don't lose their value as fast as a lot of other things. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. You can take them back down without damage, packaging them back up. And, you know, it's still a house that people want. Now, you talked about, that. Paul, the, um, the issue of the insulation. And that's something I did want to ask you in this con section. Um, yep. You know, there is less insulation. Now, it's a smaller space to heat. But how do you find, how is a yurt to keep warm or to keep cool how yeah. how do they fare when it comes to regulating temperature? There there is a difference there versus a regular house. Um, I think one of the biggest things there is the the difference in thermal mass. Um, you know, if you were to take a, a thousand square foot house and somehow put that on a scale, um, you know, it's it's I don't know how many tons that is, but it's it's a significant amount of literal thermal mass. Um, whatever that house temperature is at, it's going to maintain that more steadily than a yurt, which just is, is living lighter. So that, that temperature is going to be more variable. Um, if you've got the yurt warm, it's going to cool down faster. The insulation is thinner. You're going to have to run your heater more than you otherwise would. You know, I'll frequently tell people up in Alaska and wood, wood heat is very common up here for, for folks, you know, instead of building, you know, instead of burning uh, three cords of wood over the winter, you're going to build, you're going to burn four, you know, instead of two cords, you might burn three or four because you're going to have to stoke that stove more frequently. So there's an expense there. You may end up spending, you know, hundreds of extra dollars over the year in heat. And that's, that's not nothing. A lot of people will weigh, well, okay, I'm going to spend hundreds of dollars a year more in heat expenses, maybe even a thousand or more, but I'm going to weigh that against having saved $250,000 in construction costs or 350 or more. And they realize that, that it's, 
a no-brainer when they really think about the math. They would far rather do something that has a lower input, initial input like that, and that they can, main, they can maintain you know, those utility costs more easily. Yeah, no worries. Um, I, I, I should throw out something that a lot of people bring up with me as, as a concern, and they, they, they consider it a con, so I have this conversation with a lot of folks. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Uh, it comes up a lot, and that is bears. Um, <laughs> I have seen it. All. I'm doing my research. Everybody asks about bears. On Google, Google yeah. I was doing uh, SEO research for this episode all right what do we want to cover what yeah. questions are people googling and yeah. bears, bears was a huge yurts bears yeah, yeah. <laughs> lately to van or vandalism break-ins yeah um human, bears are not the only mammal on the face of the planet that likes to break into buildings yeah. unfortunately um so uh, and I, I i should put a shout out speaking of bears well, one of my favorite uh, bear events in the world is is the <laughs> fat bear contest they have up here in Alaska every summer. So for any of your audience who wants to follow something fun, uh, tune in uh, midsummer to the, the Katmai fat bear contest. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a bracket. Uh, they run it like, like kind of like, uh, you know, the, the final four or whatever it is. And, and uh, uh, you get to vote for your favorite fat bear every, every summer here. So I've never um, heard this. I have to Google it right now. You, you got to look that up. Uh, <laughs> I, I, the names are good too. I, I can't remember the, the top competitor competitors. It's Holly and Seven Forty Seven, and, <laughs> and uh, he's won a couple times, I think. Um, seven Forty Seven. Yeah, yep, there he is. Seven Forty Seven. That's great. Yeah, big bear. Uh, so yeah. So if one of those guys comes decides to come along through the forest and find your yurt and you've left bacon on the counter. Um, there, the, what I tell people in our, our experience um, from, you know, years of years of talking to folks is um, a determined bear can break into your yurt um, the same way it's going to break into any cabin. They're going to go through the front door. They it doesn't matter that it's a yurt. It's a, it's it may as well be a, a 2000 square foot house. They're going to walk up to the front door, put their paws on it and lean. And that's all it takes. Wow. So no difference in a yurt. It's the same thing. If you, the, the moves there are the same as any other thing, uh, reduce your food waste. Uh, don't leave scraps and garbage where they can get to it. Don't train the bear that this is a food source, you know, worst case scenario, they're going to, they're going to bust your door in and, and you'll have to, you'll have to clean that up. If, if you're in a really bad spot, then, then you'd want to invest in an electric bear fence. 
Those, they're very, very effective. Bears do not like to get zapped. Um, they'll, they're quick. They're, they're fast learners too. So, uh, one sure. thing I've heard a lot of people ask about and talk about, Paul, I want to ask you humidity in the yurt, in the hot days, in the yeah. summer, humid days. That's Is it harder to regulate any tips on how to handle that? It can be. Yeah. And it, it, that's going to be real lo- location specific. The yurt gets a fair amount of airflow through it. It's generally not a super airtight structure like, you know, the, the latest houses these days. They're trying to get the, that number of air turnovers per hour down to extremely low numbers. And there's benefits to that. But like, you know, you also get, you know, stale air and, and mold likes to grow in situations like that. You want to, you want to avoid a few things that, that make things worse. Trying to tighten a yurt up too much can work against you in terms of not letting humidity escape. We as humans breathe out a lot of water vapor, take showers, let off a lot of vapor, cook. Again, all those things add water vapor to the air. So if you can get some airflow, crack that top vent up there uh, to let air flow through the yurt and keep it a you know breathing structure that's going to help keep that humidity down. That's, that's mostly it. Um, you know, I, I think not, not a lot of cons, you know, the, the one they're, they're manageable. It's, it's, it's the regulatory stuff, jumping through the hoops of, of getting financing and getting insurance. We do have some tips on that. If people want to follow up with us, we can, we can awesome. do some recommendations. But, yeah, that's um, a good idea. We have both a Facebook page and a website, of course, these days, nomadshelter.com. Yeah, we, we've got a, a great build calculator on there. So you can go on and price out your yurt, choose your options, do, do quick comparisons about um, how big a yurt do I want? Um, what is it going to cost me to put in extra doors and windows and choose different insulation packages? So um, recommend that's a great place to start and then continue to get in contact with us through that website. I got to say that is a really fun place to start because you can literally build your own yurt, customize it and see how much it will cost in just a few minutes. So I'll have a link in the description of this podcast. You can go check out Nomad Shelter, their build calculator. They're fantastic structures. Um, they, they are, can, they can be a round peg in a square hole. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I would guess the last caveat, this isn't, this isn't actually a con about the yurt, but it's a general comment about planning for your construction. This applies to any any building construction is, is try to look at the total package price. When Paul says total package price, he means not just the building itself, also the foundation and all the infrastructure to get it up. There are nine things that you want to consider when deciding where to actually place your house or your yurt. And we covered those in another episode of our podcast. You're definitely going to want to listen to that episode because if you get any of these wrong, it's going to cost you a lot more money to build your home. So click on the link in the description of this podcast so you can learn what nine things to consider when choosing a location for your home. In the rest of this interview, Paul went on to describe how to build a yurt step by step. He included some great advice on the foundation that might save you money and be more flexible for your plans in the future. Homesteady Pioneers have access to the full-length episode. We'll have a link below to that full-length episode in the Pioneer Library.